Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us here for a very special live Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. I am your host, Joe Orico, and this is a Sports Ethos presentation. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99. We're also doing a lot of stuff at Ethos Fantasy BB. Got a draft guide in the works. We have a new podcast coming out very soon. All the details are at Ethos Fantasy BB and on our website at SportsEthos.com. Now, we are doing another team preview today. We have a very special guest joining us on the show. Got to meet him in Arizona. We did a podcast last year. It was actually the last live pod we did uh, for for this podcast was when Frank was on for uh, the trade deadline, and I gave away who he is, Frank Stample of CBS Fantasy Baseball today. Frank, very glad you could join us today. How you doing, man? I'm doing very well. It's a busy time of year, man. Things are ramping up. We've got pitchers and catchers coming up, spring training. The start of the MLB season. This is a great time of year, Joe. It's as the Super Bowl winds down, football season is over. You just you start to feel things shift a little bit. The winds change and people start to put their attention back towards baseball. So I'm really excited to be part of that. And I'm really excited to be here today. What's going on, man? Uh, you know, I, I mentioned it to you uh, before we started going. I was doing the basketball trade deadline coverage that we had going here earlier. You guys can check that out if you're on our YouTube. We had five hours of coverage going on. It was a crazy busy day. Uh, shout out to the guys, Dan Bespris, who was on for the entirety of the show. I hopped in there for about an hour and a half. A lot of fun. You guys should go check that out. But we are here to talk baseball. We're here to talk New York Yankees, and it's a touchy subject for me occasionally as a Blue Jay fan. But we're here joined by one of the best and a New York Yankee fan himself to talk about this team for this upcoming season. Not many changes, really, specifically in the lineup. It looks fairly similar to last year. Carlos Rodon was kind of the big addition. We're going to get the pitching in a second, but I do want to start with the lineup here. And we'll just go from the top down. We'll start with Glaber Torres. What are your thoughts on Glaber heading into this season? The projections are pretty good for him. Uh, 22 homers and 11 stolen bases based on ATC. And before you answer that, I will just chime in here real quickly. I do have some electrical trouble at my house right now. So if the light does flicker behind me like it did there before, uh, don't be alarmed. There's nothing crazy going on. But Frank, uh, what are your thoughts on Glaber Torres? Uh, yeah, I think he's adequately valued. I think it was a great bounce back season for him after two disappointing years. You mentioned last year he hit 257, 24 homers, 10 steals. He changed his approach too. He got back to being aggressive, which is something we saw earlier in his career. Both his swing percentage and his chase rate were his highest since 2019. And for some players, we might worry about something like that. But for me, I worried the other way. Those two years in a row where Glaber struggled, he was being too passive at times. He wasn't being his aggressive self. Players just need to be who they are. Someone like Javier Baez, if he changes his approach, it's not going to work out well for him. The same thing happened for Glaber Torres. So last year, he got back to being more aggressive, and it worked out for him. He also hit the ball in the air more, and he hit the ball really hard. 90.4 mile per hour average exit velocity that led all qualified second basemen. 
10.7% barrel rate. That was second best at the position. And both were career highs for Glaber Torres. It feels like he's been around forever, Joe. He's entering his age 26 season. So I think the price is adequate. Uh, I trust what we saw last year. And I think we probably get something similar to that again this season. Yeah, it was a little concerning in 2021 for sure. The power was kind of gone from what we saw in those early seasons. Now, <clears throat> 2019, he had 38 home runs, but we know 2019 is kind of everybody kind of had inflated numbers that year. So maybe that was never going to be what he did. But, you know, he repeated his rookie season and then some uh, home runs were exactly the same. Uh, he had more stolen bases. The stolen bases are interesting. Double digit steal potential for him going forward probably every single year. At least it looks like he's still a young, fairly agile guy. Uh, the projections all seem to agree 20 home runs you're going to have more than 10 steals and a decent batting average now in terms of the price for him he's currently going and i'm looking at draft champions on the nfbc since january the first he's going at pick 118 uh, overall right now what are your thoughts on that price i think it's fair and he kind of represents this kind of weird island in the second base position adp we've got andres jimenez who's about you know, 30 picks higher than him at pick 84. And then you have to wait 30 picks after Glaber Torres, where you see the next second base eligible player in Max Muncy. So he's kind of on this island by himself. But again, I think the price is adequate. If he can hit you know, 23 to 25 home runs, double digit steals. And frankly, based on how good he was last year, I feel like the counting stats should be better. If he's batting in the top half of this lineup, he probably should produce more runs in RBI. So again, I think the price is adequate. It's a, it's a second base position, which is not great, in my opinion. I think if you miss out on the top four, you kind of just wait for the best value whenever it presents itself. And I think Glaber is probably one of those players. Yeah, I mean, he is one of the more expensive second basemen just because of the nature of the position. He's going as the seventh uh, guy based on ADP. Feels fairly, fairly decent, especially if you're, you know, like you said, you're passing up on one of those early round guys, your Semyons, your Altuves, uh, your Ozzy Albies types. Wait a little bit, wait past pick 100. And Glaber will be there at the top of that Yankees order, should be able to give you, like you said, <clears throat> at least like what he did last year, 150 runs in RBIs put together with the potential for more. Uh, I'm at that price specifically considering the position that he plays. Uh, but moving on to number two in the lineup, he is the big ticket item here. Aaron Judge. Projections are all calling for regression, which progress, uh, projections by nature are more conservative. You're not going to see anybody called for 50, 60 home runs. What are your thoughts on Judge's ability to have, you know, any kind of season like he did last year? Are we going to see him really regress? Is it going to be something similar? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on him in general heading into the year? I mean, I think the fair bet is is on regression, right? 62 home runs set the American League home run record. Anytime you see a season like this, one of these historic seasons in baseball, I mean, the, the fair bet is to bank uh, to bank on regression coming for Aaron judge. And that's exactly what I would do too. But even with regression, even if you get 75 to 80% of the production that judge got last year, he's still going to be worth a first round pick. In my opinion, you look at the Rasball player Raider judge earned $62.9 worth of auction value in a 12 team Roto league. The next closest player was Paul Goldschmidt at $40.7. So you can chop off two thirds of Aaron judges production from last year and you're getting the second best player in Paul Goldschmidt. So I would expect something similar similar to that. 40 to 45 home runs, a 280 plus batting average. He also put up a career high in terms of steals. Now there's new rules in place where we, we're expecting more speed in baseball this upcoming season. Even with that, I think he probably comes back to, you know, 
10 steals, I think eight to 10, something like that. Maybe he could push 12, 15 if, if everything works out. Um, and the counting stats probably take a little bit of a step back too. But even with that, Joe, as I, as I pointed out, I think he's probably still going to be worth a mid first round pick. Maybe not, you know, the top two or top three player he's, you know, sometimes being drafted as right now. Correct me if I'm wrong, but your co-host Scott White is pretty in on judge like one zero one type. Is that across formats? Is that specifically for points? Like where, where does he stand on that? Like is yeah, it's it's across formats. And I will say in a head-to-head points league where plate discipline matters it matters more. I mean, at least on CBS, you lose points for strikeouts and you gain a point for a walk. Plate discipline matters a lot. I think Aaron Judge is the number one player in head-to-head points leagues. I think he's part of that top five in a categories league. I think you can make the argument for any of those five players, and that includes Judge, Jose Ramirez, Trey Turner, Julio Rodriguez, and Ronald Acuna. Um, but yeah, for for Scott, <laughs> you can listen to our outfield preview. It's coming up. He'll explain it. But yeah, he has him as the 101 regardless of format. I'd just be a little bit skeptical taking him because of the... I know you're not you're not guaranteed those steals at the top like you are with the other guys. Now you're getting more power than you would generally with with the rest of those top five names that you mentioned. I'm just not quite there at the one zero one. Like I can get behind him probably fifth or sixth, but I I do worry a little bit. And there's also you know I don't know how much this really matters, but the fact that he was getting some preferential balls down the stretch, I don't know how much that's going to come into play. If that was even a thing, I mean, I trust the research. I trust what, you know, the articles that I read were very well done. Like they, they went in depth. They were like drilling into baseballs. And I remember Eno was talking about it in Arizona about the process for, for them trying to collect these baseballs. And it was a huge undertaking. I just, I don't know how much to factor that into next year of, you know, are, are they going to be giving him regular balls and the balls in general, really, not just for judge, like what kind of balls are we going to see across baseball, but how will that impact him when it seems like he was given a bit of an extra advantage to try and, you know, maybe push up some numbers down the stretch uh, for Major League Baseball. Is that something that bothers you at all when looking at Judge? I think it's interesting. I agree with you. I trust the research that they put out. It wouldn't surprise me if baseball did something like this. Major League Baseball, I mean, because they've changed the ball in the past without no heads up, just kind of doing it on the fly midseason. So wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if they did something like that. The one thing I'll point out with Judge is you look at the batted ball data and you know, this is true every year for him, but he is like in a league of his own in terms of how hard he hits the ball, how hard he impacts the ball. And last year, he actually changed his approach. He pulled the ball more and he hit more fly balls than ever before. And I could tell you, as a Yankee fan watching Judge his entire career, before last year, he was more of a pure hitter. Line drives, takes what what he what is given to him, go the opposite way. Last year, he was consciously trying to pull the ball more and put it in the air more. Now, again, I don't think that's going to lead to 60, but if there's any player who can push towards 50 home runs or even exceed it again this year, I think it is Aaron Judge. And I think we're kind of in this environment now with the humidors and the assumed dead end ball that we had last year. Home runs are a little bit harder to come by. I think Judge is the clear, clear outlier in that category. Yeah, I I would tend to agree. Uh, Love the player. I don't love the price, but I can I can get behind it if you miss out on a couple of those other names uh, right at the top. Uh, projected to bat right behind him, Anthony Rizzo. He has pretty good projections himself. Uh, ATC's calling for, what is it, 26 homers, 75 runs, 74 ribbies. Draft price is also pretty good on Rizzo going outside the top 150. What do you, what do you like for, for Rizzo this upcoming season? 
Yeah, I like Rizzo. I mean, I think we're probably here to stay with the lower batting average. Last year, he hit uh, 224. Now, I do think, you know, as a left-handed batter and the shift restrictions coming into play, you know, maybe that bounces back a little bit. But with that being said, Rizzo hit a lot of fly balls last year. He basically sold out for that short porch in right field, which, you know, given a left-handed batter, one that makes a lot of contact, it, it makes sense for his profile. Um, but with that, we we saw a higher home run output, but lower batting average. I would probably expect something similar from Anthony Rizzo again this season. First base is an interesting position, Joe, because I think there's a lot of talent all throughout the draft, you know, early up in drafts, middle rounds. You can get your Jose Abreu's, your Vinny Pasquantino's, but you could also wait and you could get someone like Rizzo or even Rowdy Telez, who I like a lot. And I really kind of want to prioritize getting a third baseman or a second baseman early on in draft. So if I do that, you can't have everything. You got to wait at certain positions. First base is typically one that I wait at. And oftentimes I wind up with Anthony Rizzo. The plate discipline is still really good. Um, I do think he's probably going to miss some time. He has this chronic back injury. He's due for at least one aisle stint per year. You're probably going to miss like 20 to 30 games. So bake that in. But when he plays, I think he probably hits, you know, 240, 250 with close to 30 home runs. And batting third in this lineup, he's, he's probably pushing up over 80, 90 RBI. In terms of the lineup as a whole, do you do you trust the counting stats for like top to bottom kind of thing? Like, do you think that this is a, as deep of a lineup as it maybe is viewed on the outside? Like, I know that I'm a little bit biased against the Yankees, but I see this lineup and I see Judge and then I see and this is nothing against Rizzo in particular. Just the thought that came into my head is, is this lineup as good as we think it is? Like Judge went crazy stupid last year, like 260 runs in RBIs together and that his production kind of elevated the entirety of the team are they as good as you know if there's a regular judge season does that affect everybody else are they as good as we might think they are you know just viewing it through last season's lens uh, i know i'm kind of long-winded in question here but is this team as good as we think they are essentially no no they are not good i mean going into last year they are a team that i didn't i predicted would not be in the playoffs so i mean they clearly overachieved in my opinion and that's what you got from Aaron Judge, a clear overachieving type season. And I know Angels fans are going to kill me, but again, I, I watch a lot of Yankees baseball. He was, in my opinion, the most valuable player in baseball last year. Because if you take him off that Yankees team, this lineup is really, really bad, especially given like the injuries and some of the older players they have in this lineup. So Aaron Judge was just like the clear outlier. And again, I'm expecting his counting stats to take a little bit of a step back. But with that said, you know, I do think Rizzo maybe kind of underperformed a little bit with the runs in RBI. I, I think he could be better, like, you know, 80 or 90 plus RBI this season, depending on how much he he stays on the field. But yeah, this is top to bottom. You know, once you get past the top four, it's really not an impressive lineup unless a couple of these prospects could come up like Oswald Peraza and, and Anthony Volpe and hit the ground running. But without that, I think you're right, Joe. I think it's probably overrated because their names are the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's still a lot of talent there. And you mentioned the fourth batter in the lineup, Giancarlo Stanton. I mean, I saw a tweet the other day. I forget if it was Mike Petriello or somebody. And it was looking at the stat cast, hard hit balls. Like, I think it was over 110 or over 115. And it was the leaderboard. And it was Stanton with 50 or 60 and everybody else with single digits going back maybe five years. He hits the ball harder than maybe anybody else in history. And he's still giving you home runs, even in 110 games last year. He gave you 31 of them. What are your thoughts on Stanton for this upcoming season? Are you drafted him? Do you feel confident that he'll stay on the field? 
No, no, I do not have much confidence that Stanton will be able to stay on the field. Last year, 110 games. The year before that was 139. How about the previous two years? 23 out of 60 games in the short in 2020. Played 18 games back in 2019. So like Anthony Rizzo, you have to expect that Giancarlo Stanton is going to miss time. How much? That probably varies year over year. I will say this, though. 211 batting average. That seems like it was unlucky last year. As hard as Stanton hits the ball, even with a 30% strikeout rate, his XBA, according to StatCast, was 240. So I would expect Stanton to get back to at least that level. He's a career 264 hitter, you know? I mean, even the year before, he hit 273 in 2021. So it varies, but I think he's probably more of like a 250-ish type hitter. Still going to give you a lot of power. 31 homers in 110 games last year. Again, the batted ball data has not taken a step back. It's just he's going to miss time. Outfield uh, is a shallow position, in my opinion, this year in terms of fantasy. So, you know, if uh, I think based on where he's going, you probably get Stanton as like your second or third outfielder. And you just need really anyone who's going to get at bats and, and has talent at this position. I don't mind him as like a probably more so as a third outfielder than a second, just given his injury history. He's going as the 36th outfielder off the board right now. I do agree with you. Outfield is definitely weaker, and I've been looking like you probably have a lot this offseason NFBC stuff because it's mostly been what's there. But as we kick in the gear of the Yahoos and the CBSs and the ESPN leagues, a lot more three outfielder leagues, does he lose some? I guess he does lose some appeal by default there uh, when you don't need to take as many outfielders. But I still think with the price at 151, the upside is there for 40 home runs still if he is healthy and even possibly more. Like, we saw him hit 60. I know that was a while ago now, but if he's healthy playing 162 games, which I, I very much doubt, but if he is in a DH role, you know, he could give you 130 games, maybe give you 40 some some odd home runs. It wouldn't shock me. Uh, the, the upside is still there for him, even though there is a lot of risk that comes with it. He used to be a guy that played a lot of games, you know, uh, multiple seasons of 150 plus games, even though we're looking back five or so years. He did it in 2018. He played 158 games. So we're not too far removed from Stanton still being a great fantasy asset. So I wouldn't be so opposed to get him at pick 150, depending on your format, and more so uh, if you're talking a five outfielder league. But let's move on to everybody's favorite person, Josh Donaldson. God, everybody, he is so hated. I loved him so much in Toronto. Like He was such a breath of fresh air for that team. Uh, for the couple of years that he was here, he won an MVP. He was fantastic. And now the, the tide has kind of generally turned on him both off on the field and off. But what are your thoughts uh, strictly from a baseball point of view on Josh Donaldson for this year? I'll tell you what, I don't have much faith when it comes to Josh Donaldson. He didn't show up much in his first season with the Yankees. He played phenomenal defense. Does not matter for fantasy baseball purposes. He stayed on the field a good amount, 132 games, but he's someone who's also missed time quite a bit. Throughout his career, last year he was on the IL with right shoulder inflammation, only 15 home runs, 222 batting average, 682 OPS. The strikeouts went up as well. The batted ball data took a huge step back from 2021. Now, if he can get back to the 2021 levels, I mean, he's a huge value where he's going. He's, he's basically free in drafts right now. But I'm just, A, not willing to bet on that. And the Yankees have a lot of depth. They've got some things that they need to figure out. I think this lineup will very much be Whoever performs, whoever hits, is going to stay in the lineup. They have DJ LeMahieu, who they can move around. I mentioned the prospects that they have coming. They have Oswald Peraza, who, as of now, looks like he'll be the starting shortstop. But they also have Anthony Volpe, who's one of the top prospects in the game. He also plays shortstop. 
I don't know if he stays at shortstop. I think everything I've read is that Peraz is a better defender than Anthony Volpe. So what does that mean? Volpe needs somewhere else to play. Well, I don't think he's going to take second base away from Gleyber Torres. What's the next option? He can go over to third base and he could take that away from Josh Donaldson. So there is a little bit of upside here if Donaldson can reclaim his 2021 form. But if he doesn't and he gets off to a slow start, I think he is basically useless. He probably loses out on playing time to LeMahieu or maybe even an Anthony Volpe that gets called up. I agree. I, I can't really get behind him at his price is going after pick 400. He's more of a DC target, a draft champions, draft and hold kind of player in your 10, 12 team leagues. He's not going to be someone that you look at unless he does get hot. And then he would be a, a waiver slash fab pickup. But as of right now, there's not too much reason to be excited about a 37 year old who you mentioned. We're not even sure about the playing time. There's a lot of young bats who, who could very easily take that job over from him. Um, yeah, not not really so much that's interesting for me with Josh Donaldson as much as, you know, my old ties to him might make me want to be inclined. But at this point, not really so much. Harrison Bader has been getting some helium uh, throughout the offseason. People are talking about him as being potentially very, very good. Uh, I forget who whose rankings they were, but I thought I was looking at some outfield rankings and they had him very, very high up. Uh, are you bullish on Harrison Bader this season? I don't, I know this is kind of a cop out. I don't really have a strong opinion. I think he's fine. Um, I think that there is a lot of injury risk for Harrison Bader as well. Surprise, surprise. It's basically this entire lineup with Rizzo and even judge has had some injury history and Stanton and, and Donaldson and, and now Bader too. Last year, he missed a lot of time with plantar fasciitis in his foot. That is something that typically lingers over time. And this is someone that we want for speed. Someone, you know, who had 17 steals last year. He has 57 steals and 537 career games. So we want him to run. The question is, you can't run A, if you're not playing, or B, if you have a foot injury. With that being said, last year, the sprint speed still phenomenal. 92nd percentile. We have the new rules coming in where we think, again, that players will probably run more this upcoming season. It is a contract year for Harrison Bader. Players find a way to stay healthy in their contract year. So uh, there is upside here. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I don't think that the there's big batting average upside. It's probably like a 250-ish hitter, but he's someone who, if you pace out his numbers over 150 games in his career, it's 15 and 15. So, you know, 15 home runs, if we think he can run a little bit more, all right, now maybe he starts to push 20, 25 steals. That's a really useful player in Roto League. So I get the optimism behind him, but I think you also just have to be realistic that there is a lot of injury risk, and there is a lower floor because of that injury risk. So uh, that's a long-winded way of saying I, I don't really have a strong opinion, Joe. I, I think he's fine as a you know third or fourth outfielder in a Roto League. The price was kind of shocking to me. He's going to pick 167 over the last 50 drafts. Can I ask I, you, is that shocking good or shocking bad? Like, is that too high in your opinion or too low? I think it's <clears throat> I think it's too high a little bit. Like, we never – you what do you, you think – you agree? I agree, yeah. I think it's a little bit too high. Like, you know, when he's been out there in the past, we've seen him over 130, 140 games give you double-digit homers and double-digit steals. The batting average has kind of bounced around a little bit in his career. You know, in 2018, it was 264. The year after, 205, both relatively full seasons. And then 2021, 267. He's probably like a 240, 250 hitter. I just, I don't know. It's it's kind of shocking to me because I wasn't expecting him to be going here. And I think there, you know, I think he's been talked up a little bit and there might be a little bit of helium on him, but he's going ahead of Brandon Nimmo. He's going ahead of Lars Newbar. <clears throat> he's going ahead of, you know, Jeff McNeil, Alex Verdugo, Ben Intendi. There's a lot of guys who are, you know, we're not talking studs at this point anymore, but guys who have, you know, given you really good fantasy seasons in the past where 
Bader's kind of giving you good fantasy seasons, but I don't know. At the same time, he's never really been healthy for a full season. He's never been there for a full season, really. I mean, 138 games is the most he played. That was five years ago now. I'm I'm not 100% in at this price. In fact, I, I would be closer to 100% out. Uh, I pick 167. The minimum is inside the top 150. I just I just think it's a little bit too rich. Yeah, a fewer things there on him. Again, the outfield position I think is pretty weak. It's something that you alluded to as well. So I think you know people miss out on some of these top tier guys, and then they're reaching. They're like, well, where am I going to get my outfielders? I just I need plate appearances and I need talent. And I think Bader does have the talent. Like he did flash that in the postseason. He hit five home runs in nine games. So it just kind of, you know, tantalizes you a little bit. And another thing, Joe, the projections really like him. If you look at each projection system, they have him for at least 13 home runs, at least 13 steals. A lot of people use ATC from our, our buddy, Ariel Cohen. And I get why they do. It's, it's a great projection system. 247, 15 home runs, 20 steals. That's, that's pretty exciting for like your third or fourth outfielder going around pick 150 or 160. So again, like I know I'm kind of playing both sides here, but that's kind of where I'm at uh, on Harris Bader. I, I I can see both sides of the argument for him. I can too. <clears throat> I can too. Excuse me. I got some some tickle in my throat today. I, I like it. I just well, maybe I don't like it. I'm <laughs> I'm like you. I'm kind of don't really know how to feel. If he does play a whole season, then he can very easily beat that price. You know, he can return a top 150 value. Um, but will he play a whole season? I think it was the skeptical, skeptical, eh, the skeptic in me coming out, uh, throat sore, can't talk today. That's what happens when you do a couple hours earlier in the day. But Frank, you you know what it's like to be doing podcasts all throughout the day, so I shouldn't be complaining <laughs> to you of all people. Um, the bottom of the order, not that exciting. Any any love for Aaron Hicks anymore? No, no. I mean, I just drafted him in a draft champions as like my ninth outfielder, so that should tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> I think it was around forty out of fifty. So I mean, at that point, you're just drafting anyone who has a pulse and there was a report recently that brian cashman said aaron hicks will be the opening day starter in left field which is disgusting and i, I can't believe that's where we're at and he's projected to bat seventh in this lineup but uh yeah i don't really have much faith last year eight home runs 10 steals so someone going that late in drafts as a draft and hold target someone a little power a little bit of speed maybe he can you know reclaim some of his old form i get it but in anyone who's listening to this, if you play in a standard Roto League or just your standard size three outfielder league, chances are Aaron Hicks will not matter to you one bit this season. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> I saw a report that I think it was maybe a quote that he said. It honestly might have been one of those fake accounts that said he wanted to go for like a 2020 season this year. Last year, he said 30-30, Joe. So yeah, <laughs> <there you> I, <laughs> I, I don't really see it. Um in terms of the rest of the lineup here, Peraza is going to be at short, it looks like. They also got Oswaldo Cabrera. Um, what are your thoughts on those two Oswalds? <laughs> what, are your, what are your thoughts on them heading into this upcoming upcoming year? I will remind people here that I get it. This is really confusing. Oswald Peraza, yes. Oswaldo Cabrera. Very similar names. The, I guess the way that, to remember it is Oswald Peraza, no O there. He is the shortstop. He is the one that he has higher prospect pedigree, and he is the one that I believe you should be more excited about between the two. So I'll start there with Oswald Peraza. He is someone who is gaining a lot of helium right now. He's rising in terms of his ADP, and I think it makes sense because for all this offseason, Joe, he was going way too late in drafts. I think there are a few reasons for that. A, people weren't sure that he was going to be the starting shortstop, and I guess there's still a chance that he's not, um, but I think now that we're getting closer to spring training and the start of the season and people see roster resource. They're like, wait, this prospect has a chance to start for the Yankees on opening day. 
why is he going outside the top 400 picks in ADP? And, and we're starting to see him move up as a result of that. He got off to a slow start in the minors last year. From June 1st on, he hit 291 with 14 home runs and 22 steals. There is a legit good hitter here with power and speed. Came up for 18 games last year, and he showed a lot of poise, Joe. I mean, it's not going to show up in the numbers. Like, the batted ball data was not great. The plate discipline was actually pretty good, but he just looked like he belonged. It's like kind of like one of those old school, scouty, anecdotal type things. But he looked like he was ready, and I really put a lot of stock into that. I want to see how he performs in spring training, but I think if if he's a starter on opening day and he stays with the Yankees all season, there is a chance that he is a 2020 hitter that's going outside the top you know, 300 or top 350 picks right now. So I love the value that you're getting on Peraza. And for Cabrera, if Aaron Hicks doesn't work, work out, he's there to kind of pick it up. I think he could play left field, and his approach, very interesting for Yankee Stadium. 50% fly ball rate with a 35% pull rate. He's a switch hitter, but obviously mostly batting from the left side there in Yankee Stadium. He has a skill set that is suited for that ballpark. And if he gets an opportunity to play because Aaron Hicks is not great, or if someone gets hurt, um, then yeah, I think that Cabrera can kind of fill in there. And I think he has some very, very deep sleeper appeal. Yeah, the price on both of them has gone up quite a bit. Um, Peraza, 312 right now, and Cabrera, 322. I would be much more in on Peraza, like you said. Uh, better numbers in the minors, more of a assured role uh, starting on opening day. Uh, but, you know, interesting at that price. And, you know, once you're getting to that price, 320-ish, if you're talking like a 12-team league, you could take a chance with your last pick of the draft. People, A lot of people in home leagues, they don't pay as much attention to this stuff as probably you and I do. And a lot of people who are on Fantasy Baseball Twitter, they might not see that helium on Peraza. You could get him, you know, 270, 280 with your last pick and your 12-teamer. And there might be a very nice return there. That's pretty much it for the lineup. Jose Trevino, he's he's a solid catcher too in, in your two catcher leagues. Nothing you know crazy to be jumping up on ADP on him or anything. The, the last guy I want to talk to you about though is DJ LeMayhew because you know the projections are calling for roughly like a hundred or so games. He's got that nice eligibility across the infield, but he currently, according to Roster Resource and you know according to sources, he does not have a job as of right now in the starting lineup. How worried are you about that? Here's the thing that happens with LeMahieu. The first year he signed with the Yankees, we were dealing with the same thing. I remember I didn't want him in any drafts because he was on the outside looking in. We didn't think he had a starting job. The cream rises to the top. If DJ LeMahieu hits like the DJ LeMahieu we know, he's going to play. Uh, they'll find a way for him. They'll either play him at third. They'll give someone a day off. They'll move Rizzo to DH. They'll use LeMahieu at first base. They'll put Glaber at DH. They'll use LeMahieu at second. They'll find a way to get his bat in the lineup if he's hitting. And last year, it was basically a tale of two seasons where through July, he kind of looked like he was back. He was hitting 285 with 11 home runs, 65 runs scored, more walks than strikeouts. That was a 93-game stretch. And then he had this toe injury that popped up, which derailed his season. His numbers from August on are abysmal. But everything I've read is that this was like a pretty painful injury for him. Um, and it... it, it it held him off the playoff roster. Like he, he couldn't even play. So he opted not to have surgery this off season. He's a hard one to figure out. Um, if he's healthy, then I think we could get something close to the player we saw in the first four months last season. But uh, if he's not, he's not going to be performing and he's not going to play. And then obviously there's just like a bunch of injury risk involved too. So he's got the good eligibility. He's got first, second, third base. I, I don't think that you need to get involved. I think there's probably too many ifs there. Um, 
and, and I'm not really worried about him like making me pay if 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 I pass on DJ LeMahieu. So I think he, there's still a good player there, but there there's a lot of things that need to break right for him. Yeah, and maybe they do, and and if they do, like the potential's there. He can hit you double digit homers. He can hit close to 300. I mean, hell, he's had he had 364 in 2020. He's hit 350 in the past, albeit at Coors. Uh, but the potential is there for good batting average as a good kind of utility fantasy player. <clears throat> but uh, like the role's not really there for him at this point. Uh, the price is 262 in these most recent drafts. I'm not interested. I just can't really get behind it at this point. <clears throat> I have him ranked outside of the top 25 for myself in terms of second and third base. I- I'm just not really there. But that's pretty much the lineup. It looks... <clears throat> God, my throat is really bad today. I'm not really sure what's going on. Uh, apologies there, everybody. But this is pretty much the lineup. It looks about the same as it did last year. No real big changes. Um, the starting rotation did get a nice little boost with Carlos Rodon. But again, uh, mostly the same guys that you're going to be seeing in the rotation as well. Let's start with Rodon. Uh, typically, you'll start with Garrett Cole with the Yankees. But let's start with the addition here. Are you big on Rodon? There's been some worries about going into the Yankee Stadium, what that will do for his home run numbers, and people worried about him a little bit in general, new location, new contract. What are your thoughts on Rodon this year? I pretty much trust it, and I'm okay taking him at his cost. I actually am in a 12-team league at the NFBC right now, and I took him at pick 45 as my first starting pitcher. So uh, I'm fine with the cost. I think he's proven it now two years in a row. He's coming off a monster season with the Giants. 288 ERA, 103 whip, 237 strikeouts, the third most in baseball last season. He had seven double-digit strikeout performances in the second half alone last year. So he really, really finished the season strong. He maintained that big velocity jump that we saw in 2021. And you look at since the start of 2021, among starting pitchers with at least 300 innings pitch show, Rodon is first with a 12.2K per nine. Garrett Cole is second at 11.8. So there should be a lot of strikeouts up top in this rotation. I don't worry about the fact that he's a fly ball pitcher going to Yankee Stadium because he's a left-handed pitcher. So the ones that take advantage of that most are the lefties using the short porch in right field. Being a left-handed pitcher, he's more predominantly going to face right-handed hitters, and he's also just devastating against left-handed hitters. So I just I don't worry about something like that. If you look at the dimensions and the stack cast park factors, Left field actually grades out as pretty big, pretty spacious in Yankee Stadium. So I don't really worry about the fly balls or home runs being an issue for Carlos Rodon in Yankee Stadium. As we've said with everyone, Joe, it just comes down to health. If he stays on the field for, you know, 170 plus innings this season, he's probably a top 10 starting pitcher once again. I'm still working on my starting pitcher rankings. I currently have him at four, and I feel like that might be a little high. But at the same time, you know, if you look at what he's done the last couple of seasons, he is a top five pitcher. Um, if he's healthy, he is going to be a top five pitcher. Now, third different ballpark in three years worries me a little bit, even though like what you're saying, left field is pretty spacious there at Yankee Stadium. Uh, there's there's some small concerns, but at the end of the day, you're getting an elite starting pitcher probably a little bit later in drafts than you should going. Like you said, you got him at 40 end of the third round. Oh, you said that was a 12 teamer. So fourth round, you got him. Yeah, 45. Yeah, I'll I'll take that every day. You you get three hitters in the first three rounds. I'm assuming that's what you did. Maybe you got a closer in there. But is that what what did, what did you do in that draft? So I went Judge Devers, Arosa Reina, and then Carlos Rodon. So. Yeah, no, it's 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 perfect. It's it's a perfect position for him this year for you to build out those. You know, go for those scarcer positions earlier on. Get a couple outfielders. 
Uh, you know, you you got third base. You know, you go for those scarce positions. Then you get a guy like Rodon. I think he's going later than he should. The minimum pick in these recent drafts is 26. The max is 57. Anywhere in that range, I'm comfortable. I mean, you probably don't need to take him at 26, but you could and you could justify it. And I'd be I'd be totally OK with it. Now, Garrett Cole, um, he is going even higher. He's going to pick 16. He's sneaking into the first round. Sometimes, eh, depending on your draft and your draft room, he might go. You know, he's gone as low as eight since January 1st in these drafts. Are there any concerns on your behalf about how he's fared these last couple of seasons with the home run trouble, uh, specifically in September down the stretch these last couple of years? If you're in head-to-head leagues, he wasn't so great for you in the fantasy playoffs. Any concern with Garrett Cole heading into the year? Not really. I mean, I think just given the strikeouts and the innings that he provides, he's just so valuable, especially you know throwing that many innings on a Yankees team that he should have pretty good run support. Uh, wins are a category two, and it's probably something that we should pay more attention to. Uh, it's something that Rob Silver broke down in First Pitch Arizona, something that we were both there for together, Joe. So it's something that just kind of rings in the back of my mind now. Like, yes, pay attention more to pitcher wins and, and draft pitchers on good teams. That's exactly what Garrett Cole is. He led the American League in home runs allowed at 33. He also led all of baseball in strikeouts with 257. So I don't want to discount that. You brought up the different baseballs that were allegedly being used in Yankee Stadium, in Yankees games down the stretch. I think that probably affected Garrett Cole's overall numbers during that uh, stretch as well, where the ERA started to balloon a little bit. I don't think that he is the clear standout SP1 that he maybe was a couple of years ago or in that discussion. I still have him ranked as my SP1, and it's just because of the track record, the strikeout ability, and the team that he plays for. But I also think that you could realistically make the argument for three or four other pitchers as like the SP1 if you wanted to, and I wouldn't have a problem with it. I have him at three. Uh, I like him a lot. The home runs worry me a little bit. Um, you know, but like, like you said that, you know, that works both ways. If the balls are affecting judge to give him more home runs and that's going to be a detriment to Cole. And if that was a thing that they were doing last year in the pursuit of history, you know, trying to sell some more tickets and some more jerseys and whatnot, then they wouldn't need to be doing that again this year after having just gone through that whole affair over the last few months of last season. So if that was an issue, probably not going to be an issue anymore. The home runs are a little bit of a concern. And I think I know the more you look at it, the more it does kind of worry you this past season. Um, one, four, eight homers per nine. But you're getting so many strikeouts. You're getting 15 projected wins across all the systems, which is kind of rare. I think they're more giving you 12, 13 wins. Uh, you know, we were both there. We were sitting beside each other, I think, for Rob's presentation. And it's true. The good pitchers on the good teams, you boost them up. Even if it's a bad pitcher on a good team, you boost them up. But if it's somebody with the upside of Cole with the 250 strikeout upside, you're, you're going to be taking him pretty early on. Um, end of the first, beginning of the second feels generally OK for you. Well, that was my next point, Joe, is I won't be drafting Garrett Cole anywhere this year, and it has nothing to do with Garrett Cole. It's for the reason that I mentioned before, is I think you can make the argument for maybe four or five different pitchers as the SP1. Yeah, I think one of those is Max Scherzer. I think from a skill perspective, Scherzer is still as good as he's ever been. People worry a little bit about the age and the injuries he's dealt with the past couple of seasons. Jacob deGrom, Carlos Rodon. Again, these are guys that all have the skills. They have more injury concern, but... I can get those guys in the third round, the fourth round. And if I don't think that there's a big disparity, then why am I going to waste my borderline first round pick on someone like Garrett Cole? It has nothing to do with Garrett Cole. It's just the fact that there's other really good pitchers and they're going later on in the draft. So I'd rather just wait and probably grab one in in rounds three or four. 
Yeah, I would I would agree. No need to take pitching early this year. You can. I mean, hell, it might work out as a viable strategy by the end. And there's so many ways to build your teams. You can't say it's a bad strategy. You know, if you're at the end of the first and you take Cole and Burns, that could end up paying off for you in a big way. Um, but there's not really a, a pressing need to take pitching early like we've, we've seen in some years in the past. Um, moving into another tier of starters here. Those are the elite starters for the Yankees. We got Luis Severino. Somebody that gives me a little bit of pause just based on the injury history uh, a little bit anyway, especially with the draft price. He's a little bit more expensive than I would personally be wanting to pay uh, bordering on a top 100 pick. Are you big on Severino? Are you sharing some of my concerns? What are your thoughts on him? I think he's fine. He's another one like Harrison Bader where he is uh, entering the contract year. And again, pitchers or hitters who have typically been injury prone. They just find a way sometimes to stay healthy during these contract years. Uh, Severino last year, he only made 19 starts, 102 innings, but that was the first time we saw him in a while. And he pretty much looked like himself. That's what I love about it. 3.18 ERA, a 1.0 whip on the nose over a strikeout per inning. The control was really good for him last year too. 12.3% swinging strike rate is actually better than his career mark. So He's one of these guys, it's like injury risk versus reward. Obviously, there's a lot of risk where he's going. But Joe, if he stays healthy, he can return top 15 starting pitcher value on a per start basis. How many starts is he going to make? That's the biggest question. And that's what you need to ask yourself. Do I want him as my SP2? Probably not. That's probably too risky. But if I get him as my, you know, my three or my four, and I have a couple of guys that I feel are pretty safe, then yeah, I'm willing to take that risk because again, I do think he can be a top 20 or top even top 15 starting pitcher when he is on the mound. Yeah, like you said, you you summed it up perfectly. The upside is totally there. It's just a matter of your ability to absorb risk where he's going. Um, you know, he's going inside the top 100 in some drafts. He's going ahead of Clayton Kershaw. He's going ahead of Kyle Wright, Blake Snell. Again, we're still at that point, and I think it's just because of the depth of pitching this year. We're, we're not quite even there after pick 100 where you need to necessarily have your, your top couple starters nailed down you could go for a george kirby around pick 100 and then go for logan webb and you know guy we're going to talk about next nestor cortez blake snell there's a lot of value on the board if you are somebody who is more risk averse you don't need to take somebody like severino but if you do take him uh he could return crazy crazy high upside he could be potentially a top 50 overall fantasy player if he gives us a year like he did in 2018 maybe with a slight eh, no if he gives us a year like 2018 he would be like a top 50 fantasy player almost 20 wins great strikeouts so upside is definitely there for severino uh moving on though nestor cortez nasty nestor cortez as good as he is projected to be the number four starter in this rotation he's given us a couple of great years consecutively and, you know, I, I'm pretty in on him for this year myself, you know, pulling together starting pitcher rankings. I'm not sure where I have him exactly, but you know, I'm, I'm pretty in on him at pick 112. What are your, what are your thoughts on Nestor? I like him too. I, I think that he's a little bit undervalued. I think there's still slight skepticism from people, and I get it because he Nestor Cortez is not someone who blows you away. He doesn't have the big velocity. He doesn't have these gaudy swinging strike numbers. But he gets the strikeouts, and he's a very crafty pitcher. He mixes it up. He's got a few different pitches that he likes to use. He's got a deceptive fastball. He's got a cutter that he likes to use a lot and a slider. And it's a three-pitch mix that really works well for him. 42 starts since the beginning of 2021. 261 ERA, 0.98 whip, over a strikeout per inning. Now, if I told you this was like any other pitcher who had name value or a longer track record, they're probably a top four or five round player, 
And right now we're getting Nestor Cortez outside of the top 100. So I think given that lack of track record and that lack of name value, and let's be honest, he was a journeyman before he kind of had this breakout in 2021. You know, he would be going a lot higher. So I think he's a good value right now. Uh, I agree with you. The swinging strike rate actually went up last year. The velocity went up throughout the course of the season as well. Again, it's not big velocity, but so I, I think it actually matters for someone who doesn't throw hard. I think it matters more, right? So if you go from sitting 90-91 to, all right, now you're sitting 92-93, I think that matters more for someone like Nestor Cortez. So I'm in. I like where he's going. You get him as like your, your SP3 in a 15-teamer or your SP4 in a 12-team league. I think it's a really good value. Now, he's going like the same price as Severino pretty much, 106 versus 112. If you had to take just one for this season, who are you going with? Uh, you know, let me pull up my rankings because uh, I want to give you the correct answer here, but it's very close because I, I think I have them both ranked inside my top 30. So uh, okay. I've got Severino. Oh, I lied. I got Severino at 33 and I've got Nestor Cortez at 31. So there you go. I have Nestor at 30 and Severino at 34. So we're not, we're not, we're pretty close. Um, I, I like them both. I think Nestor's a little bit safer, but uh, at this point, it, it's a matter of preference really in your draft. Uh, the upside I think is higher with Severino, but I, I think I will take Nestor. These rankings are not fully completed yet. They won't be completed until, you know, they sting the anthem on opening day. That's when they'll be finalized hundred percent because you never know what's going to change up until then. But uh, give me, give me Nestor for right now. Um, Frankie Montes is injured and Domingo Herman is going to be the number five starter. I believe as of right now, any interest in drafting him? He is a draft and hold target for me right now. I think if you're playing in these DCs, even if you wanted to kind of double down, if you take like a Severino or Nestor Cortez earlier on in your draft and just take Domingo Herman later on, he's likely to start the season. He's filling in for Frankie Montas. But if something happens to one of these other guys, like Carlos Sardan, who has an injury history, or Severino, who has an injury history, Domingo Herman is will either remain in the rotation or he'll be back in the rotation after Frankie Montas returns. Last year, the results were good, but the underlying numbers don't really paint the same picture. For Domingo Herman, his swinging strike rate actually went down from where it's been at in years past. So I don't have the most confidence. I think he's an AL only. He's in, you know, draft and hold, but your standard mixed leagues, I'm probably, you know, leaving him for the waiver wire. Yeah, I would too. Like last year when he was out there, 14 starts, it was a 361 ERA, but the FIP was 444. Uh, 2019, when he had his good year, he was 18 and four. He had a four ERA, but the FIP was 472. It's pretty consistently higher. His indicators, uh, definitely something to worry about. The strikeout rate has gone down every year of his career. Uh, K per nine goes from 11 to 10 to nine to eight to seven. Uh, not a hell of a lot of faith that he can have like a ton of fantasy value um, later on down the board. And he's going fairly late, I think, 448. You, you take a chance maybe in a DC, but that would be kind of it for me in your shallower leagues. I don't think there's going to be much need to draft him. You could maybe stream him depending on the matchup and the ballpark and everything. Uh, but I, I don't think he's a must roster player by any means. Uh, Frankie Montas, he's going to be out for a few months. I'm not I'm not completely up to date on his injury. Do you are you more aware of that? What's going on right now? Is it a oh, shoulder inflammation? Yeah, so it's this recurring shoulder injury yeah. that he dealt with last year. And it's it's pretty tough to have much faith in him because everything we saw with the Yankees last season was terrible. It was awful for Frankie Montas last year. Uh, let's see. I got the numbers here. He made eight starts with the Yankees with a 6.35 ERA and a 1.54 whip. And that was after he missed some starts due to a shoulder injury with the Oakland A's. So probably pitching through an injury and the fact that it's lingered this long and we already know he's going to be out a month. 
I I don't have much confidence, obviously. With that being said, he is a plummeting. He is dropping down draft boards. So, Joe, if you play in any league where you have IL spots, if you could take Frankie Montas with your last pick and just stash him on the IL, there's no harm, no foul. And then when he comes back, you know, see if he's anything close to the player he was before. If not, you drop him. Okay, that's fine. But if he's close to the player he was before, you know, you might have a top 40, top 30 starting pitcher on your hand. So there's no harm right now. You can take him with your last pick and stash him. But if you play in a league with no IL spots, like an NFBC main event, there's no way I can get involved. No, you, you just can't. And like you said, <clears throat> the price is plummeting. And I, if I narrowed the filters down, it would probably be a little little farther down the board. But right now, uh, from January 1st on, 277 is the ADP. The minimum is 189. The max is 438. Uh, I do kind of want to just narrow that down a little bit. Uh, maybe just look from like mid-January onwards, see how far he's going. I forget when exactly they announced the injury, but yeah, he is. Yeah, if you narrow it just the middle of January, it's after 300. Uh, he's going pretty far down the boards. He's going to keep falling. Like I agree with you there, Frank, 100%. Uh, later target, you know, throw him on the IL. We've seen it in the past that he can give you very good seasons. He's not an elite arm, but he definitely is going to outperform that that ADP if he does come back healthy. So definitely somebody to keep an eye on, despite the fact that he was a little bit less than impressive down the stretch last season. The last thing to look at here with this Yankee team is the bullpen. Clay Holmes should be getting the ninth inning role. I don't think that's up for dispute, really. Um, there's a couple of other decent arms in this bullpen. How, first of all, what are your thoughts on Clay Holmes? And the, the afterthought will be, if he does get injured, who would be the next man up, you think? I think Clay Holmes is, is fine at his ADP right now. I think there's probably a little bit more risk than people are leading on. They just kind of see, oh, the Yankees closer and, you know, pitches for a good team and, you know, last year he was pretty good. That means he's probably going to give us 30 strikeouts at, at a depressed cost compared to like other, you know, quote unquote, safe closers going earlier on in drafts. But just want to break down his first half versus second half. He was a very different pitcher. 1.31 ERA in the first half, 4.84 ERA in the second half. Struggled with control. He's someone that relies so heavily on this hard throwing sinker that he has that sometimes he can't even command it. He has no idea where it's going at times. Uh, and he was played, placed on the IL in August with a back injury. Kind of felt like a phantom IL stint at the time, just to kind of like clear his mind and get him back on track. And you know, he was all right in the postseason again. There's upside. If he shows what he did in the first half and he does that again over the course of the full season, you probably have like a top five closer on your hands. But I think there's probably a little bit more risk than people are leading on. So at the cost, uh, my strategy this year has, I want one of the top, 10 closers that are going in rounds three through five. I'll take one guy there and then I'll pretty much just wait and try and piece it together after that. Based on my strategy, I'm just not really targeting someone like Clay Holmes where he's going. That would be a strategy in a 15 or a 12 or does it really matter? Yeah, I think in a 12, I probably want a better second reliever on my team too. Like I still want a top 10 guy that I, I feel right now. I feel like there's 10 or 11 guys that, I feel pretty confident are like the closer for their teams and they're all going, you know, in the first five or six rounds. I want one of those guys, regardless, 12 team league, 15 team league, 15 teamer. I'm probably going to wait a little bit and just try and you know piece it together with like the Pete Fairbanks or the Mariners bullpen, or, you know, take a few stabs on like Alex Lang from the Tigers, 12 teamers. I probably want a little bit of a safer second guy. Maybe, you know, and Alexis Diaz, I call him safe, right? But I feel pretty good about Alexis Diaz right now. And so, uh, yeah, I want a better guy in a 12-teamer, 15. I'm probably willing to wait and just piece together my second and third closer. 
let's say Holmes does fall apart. He blows a couple of early saves or he ends up on the IL. Is it going to be Loizaga? Is it going to be Tommy Conley? Uh, maybe Lutrovino, who has some closing experience himself. Where do you think they would turn? Yeah, I mean, this is the million-dollar question right here. I lean Loisica just because I really do have faith in the stuff. I know last year the overall numbers were not great. He got off to a terrible start, but then he really settled in. He was strong in the second half of the year. But as you mentioned, Lutrovino does have the closing experience from Oakland. And once he joined the Yankees last year, he started throwing his slider more. And frankly, he had pretty good results. With that being said, we also saw Wandy Peralta close out some games in the postseason last year and pick up saves for them. So I think it's pretty much up in the air. I don't know that there's just like one answer if you're looking for a handcuff and DCs or anything like that. My guess is it would be Loisaga, but the real answer is if something happens to Clay Holmes, they're probably just mixing and matching and using some combination of Loisaga, Wandy Peralta if there's lefties coming up, or someone like Lutrovino. Yeah, it's it's a very tough question. I don't think anybody knows that answer for really any team. We speculate on these different teams. You know, the White Sox is going to be Kendall Graveman. It's going to be Lopez. It's gonna be, we, we really don't know uh, until they actually start playing the games. Is there anything else you think that, you know, is pertinent for the Yankees for this upcoming season? Something we might have missed uh, throughout the show? No, I mean, I'll mention, you know, Michael King's name. We didn't talk about him. I mean, he's just another reliever that was awesome last year. And I think it was a fractured elbow that he was dealing with. So sounds like he's going to be good to go for opening day. He's another name that could be in the mix. If, you know, Clay Holmes is just not performing or if he gets hurt, uh, the numbers for Michael King last year were ridiculous. He's probably more of their like multi-inning reliever and, you know, fireman type and just come in in the biggest situation leading up to the ninth inning. But I wouldn't rule out his name having some value at some point as well. And Anthony Volpe, just talk about him real quick. You know, I mentioned him a little bit earlier. He is regarded as a top 10 or top 15 prospect in the game. I think last year it was 21 home runs, 50 steals. So he's got power. He's got some speed. The batting average has kind of been up and down throughout the course of the minor leagues. Right now, they're calling it an open competition for shortstop. Uh, I think it's going to be Oswald Peraza. I think that they want to get Volpe a little bit more work at AAA. He only played, I think it was like 20 or 25 games there last season. He wasn't very good at AAA either, so I'll point that out. Uh, but I do think we'll see him at some point this year. If he gets off to a great start at AAA, maybe it's May. If he struggles a little bit, you know, maybe it's June, July. But we are going to see Anthony Volpe, and he's someone that you know could have, whenever he gets called up, league-winning potential. So just keep that name in mind. Um, you know, you're probably going to spend a good amount of fab or if you're in a deeper league, just kind of stash him. But it's harder, you know, if it's not if you don't have like a minor league spot and you only have you know seven bench spots, can you really afford to use one of them on Volpe? I don't know. The answer is probably not, but there is a ton of upside with him. Yeah, I mean, I played in a couple of leagues where there is they call it and I think it's N.A. in some some leagues, um, minor league, whatever it's called. He's definitely a target. He stole 44 bases in double A in 110 games with 18 homers. Yeah. Uh, you know, sub 20% strikeout rate was walking 12% of the time almost. It wasn't quite as good in in triple A, uh, to put it lightly. I mean, he he was not nearly as good. But a little bit more time in triple A, maybe we see him replicate what he did at the lower levels of the minors. And like you said, I could see hundreds of dollars of fab being thrown on him, uh, depending on when he gets called up. If people still have fab, depending on when the Yankees end up making the call. But Frank. I really appreciate you taking the time here, man. I know you you do it in a ton of podcasts. Was watching you guys earlier uh, with the Chris's on the CBS channel. Uh, yeah. You guys always do a great job. Let us know what you got going on over there and anything else you guys want to plug. 
Yeah, it's a busy time right now. As I mentioned, we're doing position previews right now on Fantasy Baseball Today. That's the podcast where you can find me, powered by CBS Sports. We also have a five-minute podcast, which is Fantasy Baseball Today in five, in case you don't have enough time to listen to the full-length podcast that day. It's just kind of a condensed version of, of that podcast. So FBT in five there. And yeah, right now it's position previews. We're five times per week. We, we've got a mailbag that's coming out every Friday leading up to the start of the season. So it's a busy time, Joe, but it's a great time, and I'm happy to do it. Happy to be here. Happy to meet you. It was a great time out in Arizona, and you know, hopefully we could do it again next year, or I guess this year now. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. It's already been four months or something, which is just insane. We're like a third of the way there. But yeah, it's, it's been great to get to know you over this last year. Uh, having you on the pod has been fantastic. And to meet you was fantastic. We hung out. Of all the people I hung out with, you were, you were one of the people I hung out with the most, uh, you know, with the Masons and yourself and Rob Silver. There was kind of a group of us there. Um, but I really appreciate you taking the time today. You guys can find Frank on Twitter at Roto underscore Frank. The CBS pod is a go-to. If you're not listening to it, you definitely should be. They got my buddy, the Welsh on there. They got Chris Towers. They got Scott White. Uh, it, it is a great time. You guys should really be checking it out. But for myself, you can find me on Twitter where you see on the screen here, if you're watching live at Joe Orico 99, I realize most of you will be watching the recorded podcast later on. Uh, but if you're here, take a look at the screen, follow both of us, check out ethos fantasy BB for the rest of our content. That's where these podcasts are posted from different articles and everything else. Our draft guide is going to be posted up in the next couple of weeks, certainly by the end of February. Uh, so make sure you guys are looking out for that. But until next time, take care and we will see you tomorrow. Cheers. Cheers.